0: Welcome to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast with your hosts Mike Gore, James Casina, and Jocelyn Gotto. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz. Here's today's episode.
1: Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast. It's Mike Gore here sitting in the studio with Jocelyn Gotto and believe it or not, this is our 30th episode. Woo-hoo. You know, <laughs> it's funny Jocelyn, <laughs> I'm sitting here looking at Beth thinking to myself, 30. What a funny number to celebrate.
0: But it's an achievement. I feel like it is an achievement. Yeah. I think that's monumentous. It
1: is. Monumentous. Monumental.
0: Well, either way, it's 30 episodes and I think that's a good achievement.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, clearly... This hasn't started as smoothly as our usual episodes, but... We're celebrating. We are celebrating. And more than that, it's probably actually got to do with thematics. It's going to be bumpy. It's going to be clunky because today we're talking about evangelism, which is usually a word that most people right now listening Mm. probably think, oh, should I switch this off or should I keep going? But for all of you listening today, please stay with us because I promise you... Persecuted church, they will have a different lens on evangelism, and it will be something that encourages, inspires you, and like we've always said, believe the persecuted church are the perfect mentors to our faith. And so hopefully today, you will learn from the persecuted church a different spin on a word that is often associated with boredom or uh, obscurity or fear, and that's evangelism.
0: Yeah, that's right, and I think that um, for for us in Australia and all around the world, for that matter, we can be quite scared of evangelism. And I, you know, I've grown up in the church my whole life, and I still kind of am daunted by the idea of sharing my faith and sharing Jesus. And I think that um, I'm worried that I don't know everything, that I won't know how to answer their questions. Um, But one of the things that I've learned from the persecuted church over the last couple of years is that faith is actually really simple and we overcomplicate it in so many ways that it makes it harder to share because we're ticking, ticking, ticking through our brain of different facts or, you know, the historical evidence of things where really the love of Jesus and the grace that he gives us is all that we need. That's where we need to start.
1: Yeah. I was sitting in a Muslim country and I remember someone said to me, Mike, do you realize that a Muslim actually has more in common with you than a family member of yours that doesn't actually claim to know God? because they said at least one of them acknowledges the existence of God. And for me, that was a real sort of lens shifting moment because we often, particularly in Western cultures, there's such an esteem around evangelizing Muslims or Muslim background believers or moves of God through the Islamic world. And when we think about it contextually, we often think to ourselves that, well, they must be the hardest people to convert. The reality is, So when people throughout the Middle East and Islamic nations become disenfranchised with Islam, the question for them is not, is there a God? The question is, which God? Which makes talking to a Muslim about Jesus far less confronting than talking to someone in our world who might say, well, why is there even a need for God?
0: Yeah, that's right. And I remember just a couple of weeks ago reading some old notes that I found from a time that I spent in Jordan where a Muslim background believer said, I don't know why you are so um, nervous or scared to share your faith in Jesus. You have a 50% chance of them accepting Jesus. It's only yes or no. There's actually no black and white. And it's like, oh, when you put it like that, it's so simple. I have a 50% chance that they're actually going to say, yeah, I want to be a part of that.
1: I think probably one of the most profound and simple takeaways or lessons I've ever heard on evangelism from the persecuted church is this next story that I want to share with our listeners. And if you take nothing else away from today's podcast, then this story is the one. Because I remember when I was in Egypt, sitting with a priest who was in a 70% Islamic area talking about evangelism. And he said to me, Mike, we look at evangelizing Muslims as though there's a brick wall between us and them. And he said, every single brick in that wall represents a question. As you spend time with them, asking and answering questions, bricks come out. He says, eventually the wall gets low enough that you can see the brother's eyes on the other side of the wall, but you can't walk with them. He says more time, more questions, more answers, more bricks come out, and eventually the wall gets low enough that you can kind of get your arms through and give the brother a hug, but you still can't walk with him. He says more time, more questions, more answers, more bricks come out, and he says eventually the wall gets low enough that you can kind of get a foot walk through, and he says that's where the journey begins. But in Western cultures said mike you think in one cab ride you're going to convert a guy from not knowing jesus or being a muslim straight to christianity they're going to be saved you notch it up as a win and you move on he says no your job in evangelism whether they're muslim whether they're atheist whether they're hindu whether they're buddhist is to simply identify the brick wall that's between you and them what the bricks are made of and ask questions into it one of the perfect or beautiful examples for me is particularly in australian or western cultures some of those things are around greed some of them are around death and mortality some of them are around career and change some of them are around family complexity some of them are around sex and sexuality values christianity you know every single person has a brick wall between us and them our job is to realize what is a brick wall made of and how can we ask questions into it?
0: Yeah, that's right. And I think that the, that story is so profound and that metaphor is so profound because I do think that we, um, or I, stress about like demolishing that brick wall in one conversation when really my goal should be, okay, let me try and loosen that brick. Let me remove one brick at a time. Um, I remember this is probably going to sound a bit funny. You never thought you would hear it. A reference to Eminem in an Open Doors Live podcast. But one of the most profound um, evangelism tools that I heard was this guy preaching and he used Eminem as an illustration of you only have one shot, do not miss your chance. And that he was saying, that's the way that we view evangelism. Like it's, we only have this one shot, do not miss your chance. But then we, um, we go so far the other way thinking, oh my gosh, we've only got one shot. I have to tell them like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus numbers. Like I have to tell them everything about Christianity in that one conversation, but it's not like that. It's like removing one brick at a time from the wall rather than trying to knock it down in one go.
1: And you know what? It's far easier to do that one shot, do it all in one moment, because To identify the brick wall, to articulate questions into the brick wall, to take time to genuinely, I mean genuinely, in an empathetic, heartfelt way, listen to the answers, and then constructively provide a God-Jesus-based narrative into them, it requires time, patience, courage, trust, and all of the things that in a time-poor culture, we actually try and avoid, and so in so many ways, That sort of, man, just tell them everything and hope they come to Jesus is a far easier uh, prospect for us. But the actual beauty of the gospel and even looking at Jesus' walk on earth was that he spent time with people. It wasn't about measuring success by numbers. It was about making sure he listened truly to the one
0: yeah and with that in mind i guess we'll jump into um a little bit more of today's content and i guess you could call this like four tips um to evangelize or a a how, how to guide <laughs> on evangelism yeah but from the persecuted church who um you know, the the brick wall that they are facing in front of them when it comes to sharing the gospel within their context, it's not actually that different to the brick wall that we face. Um, And so, yeah, with no further ado, let's jump in to those four tips on how to evangelize.
1: Okay, so tip one for everyone listening today, the first tip we want to share around evangelism is to love God and love people. Regular listeners of our podcast will have heard me tell this story in a previous episode for Open Doors Live, but I remember being in Central Asia, speaking with a brother about faith and life and purpose and all these things, and he talked to me about Saul's journey on the Damascus Road. As we're talking about this, he says to me, Mike, well, did Saul love God? I remember pausing and thinking to myself, I'm pretty sure the answer is no, and that's what I feel like I'm meant to say. And so I I sort of cautiously said no. and, And anyway, this brother looks back at me and said, well, Mike, Saul loved God. In fact, he himself writes that he was a Jew of all Jews, an expert in the law. He knew everything about God. And so he says to me, in that case, Mike, if Saul loved God, what happened on the Damascus Road? I thought that was one of the most beautifully poetic and profound questions I've ever been asked. Because I have never thought of it. If Saul loved God, in that case, what happened on the Damascus road? This brother paused and and with a warm and gentle tone smiled at me, he says, Mike, on the Damascus road, Saul learned to love people. He was able to then marry his love and his knowledge of God with a genuine love, care, concern, and empathy for people. And he says it catalyzed The church. Because let's not forget, God used Saul to build the church as well as Paul. In so many ways, persecution forces the gospel to places it will never otherwise have spread. God then had the grace and the humility to convert one of the greatest persecutors of the modern church on the Damascus Road to love people. And the rest of the story is history.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. And I actually recall a story that you mentioned from Central Asia, um, something about learning to clean shoes. Can you maybe tell that story?
1: Again, Central Asia, for all our regular listeners, they're probably sitting there going, man, this Central Asia just has all of these incredible stories. And the truth of it is, it does. It's a first-generation church. And the one that you're talking about, Jocelyn, I remember we were there together for this story. We are meeting with the same brother that was talking to me about Saul on the Damascus Road. And and I remember I asked him about evangelism. And, And the beauty of this brother, his name is Ozod, and he has this kind of ability to just talk in story you sort of get wandered off and lost in a story that you think, where is this going? And he always beautifully brings it back, back to the point or the purpose of your question. So I asked him about evangelism, and he began to tell me about a, a neighboring country to where he lives, a country called Afghanistan, a country where it's very, very difficult to follow Jesus. And anyway, there was a family there who was a, a U.S. worker. He was working for a multinational based in Afghanistan, and one of his employees was a Muslim. He was in the finance area, and as a way of earning extra money, uh, this, this finance manager said, hey, would you come over my house of an evening and, and help me do some paperwork, get on top of the finances, I'll pay you for it, um, but it will be after hours work. And so the first time this brother turned up at the boss's house, the American's house, he took his shoes off as his customary at the front door. He went in, the guy gave him work to do, and then when he went to leave, he found his shoes absolutely crystal clean while he'd been at his boss's house working this american had cleaned his shoes he thought that's strange and so he left and then a couple of weeks later the same thing happened again where the the boss said could you come around and please help me and get some work done and again the same thing happened he went back took his shoes off when he arrived when he finished the work he walked back and he found a clean pair of shoes anyway the third time this happens The man thought to himself, I need to ask him about this. I need to find, why are my shoes always being cleaned? And then as he went to leave, he said to the boss, when he found his clean shoes, why why are you cleaning my shoes? You're the boss. And the American man sat down with him and began to share the gospel. Anyway, that evening in this American man's house, this Muslim background believer ultimately gave their life to Christ. He says he was so excited that he sort of almost floated home. He said, I don't even remember how I got home. But when he got home, he woke his wife up who was fast asleep in bed. He led her to the Lord as they sat on their bed through tears. The next morning, this family was sitting in a kitchen, the husband and the wife. And they realized they had, I think it was three or four children who were all Muslim, all married. And they realized that unless they shared the gospel with them, they'll be going to hell. And that day they called their kids around they shared the gospel with them, and they converted all but one of them. The one they didn't convert went and told the local authorities about their conversion. They received a phone call and they had been um, found out to be converts to Christianity and the court had sentenced 13 of them to death by hanging. The guy called the American and said, we need to get out of here. It's where Ozod and our ministry bumped into these people. And within 24 hours, it was a miracle, we were able to facilitate their exit from that country to a neighboring one. And as we're sitting there talking with Ozod and we're talking about evangelism, he pauses and he says, Mike, you must first learn to clean their shoes. In other words, you must first learn to serve people, to listen to people, to love people in a way that might seem uncustomary. But by learning to love and serve people, in that moment, you're able to share the gospel. A love for God and a love for people.
0: Yeah, it actually reminds me of something else that Ozod said in our time in Central Asia where he said... um To leave Jesus out of your language will only ever pave the wide road to hell with generosity and good deeds. And I think that so perfectly describes that like pendulum swing between loving God and loving people. And you can't just do one or the other. You have to do both. Um, And it is countercultural. It is um, no matter from where you are in the world. I think that the message of Jesus and um, servant Hearted love, servant hearted leadership, the idea that you would put others so much uh, far greater than yourself. It's totally countercultural, but it's the way that Jesus calls us to live our lives. Um, so I think, yeah, to love God and to love people is crucial when it comes to um, the first step in evangelizing.
1: Okay, step one love God, love people. Step two is to not chase persecution over sharing the love of Jesus. When I look around at Western culture today, I often see people who, claim to be persecuted. But when I look at it more closely, what I see is they're chasing persecution over sharing the love of Jesus. They're saying needlessly inflammatory statements on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook, from the pulpit, from other places, trying to say, hey, look at me, I'm being persecuted. But the, the truth of it is, we often say that persecution is a consequence of successful Christianity. A naive application of that is people going out saying bigoted, inflammatory, inflammatory, you know, dubious comments, because that's not successful Christianity. What we say is wherever the gospel is being shared, persecution exists what we need to do is be more committed to sharing the love of Jesus than we are in convicting and condemning people. Because if you only ever chase persecution, you will only ever find separation and disunity in the church.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. And it actually reminded me of um, a time just last week, Mike, you're out of the office, um, but we had a visit from one of our field partners, uh, Pastor G and He leads a church in Lebanon on the Syrian border um, and they're seeing people come to Christ in their hundreds. And he shared here with the team about how so many refugees uh, have fled to Lebanon as Muslims, and now they're returning to Syria as Christians. House churches are starting all over Syria from these new believers. And the thing that you just reminded me of, Mike, is that when Pastor Jihad shared these stories, uh, it was so clear that these new Christians were sharing the love of Jesus with people around them simply from an overflow of their thankfulness and their gratitude. They had such a genuine desire to See people encounter the same grace and acceptance that they had in the conversion from Islam to Christianity. Whereas I think so often in the West, we can sometimes share our faith as though we've got some kind of point to prove or that we want people to know that we're right. Whereas in the stories that Pastor Jihad was sharing, it really came from an overflow of thankfulness and gratitude um, that Jesus had found them. And one of the stories that Pastor Jihad told us was of this young boy who had decided to follow Jesus after hearing the gospel at the local church in Lebanon. Uh, He went home, really excited to share his faith with his family. And so they sat down to have dinner and he asked them if they could pray. And then he began to say grace to Jesus and his parents were totally furious. As you can imagine, Uh, his mother went to visit the church to see what they had been teaching their son because he had shared this transformation from Islam to Christianity with her. And he had had this beautiful encounter with Jesus, but she wanted to know more about what had actually happened. Um, So she went to the church and she said, She just felt this overwhelming sense of peace and love Um, and she also decided to become a Christian. And so then she was scared to go home and tell her husband that, but eventually she shared her story of how she'd become a Christian with her husband. Her husband then threatened to kill her or to divorce her, but she refused to deny Jesus. And then her husband had three dreams. In the first one, there was a man dragging him somewhere, and the man introduced himself as John the Baptist, who, as a Muslim, this man had never heard of. In another dream, Jesus visited him. And then in the third dream, someone was pulling him up, and someone was pulling him down. And it was Jesus and the devil, and he had to decide which way he would go. And he woke up screaming, Lord, save me, Lord, save me. So his wife asked Pastor Jihad to come and visit the husband and Jihad explained what had happened in the dreams, explained who John the Baptist was, that he came to prepare the way for Jesus, that the man in the second dream was Jesus and that he had to make a decision between whether he would give his life to Jesus or hand his life over to the devil. And praise God, the man gave his life to Jesus in that moment. And I just love that story. I think there's so much power in sharing your story from that little kid to his mum, then eventually to his dad, even when it could come at a great cost. If it wasn't for that son coming home and saying grace in such an innocent, beautiful, childish way, this family might not have ever come to know the love of Christ. And I think in light of that story, the third tip in this how-to guide on evangelism would be share your story.
1: Absolutely, I'm always moved to the power of story. I mean, Jesus spoke in parables, in story, and you come forward 2,000 plus years, and we've never been in a a society or culture that is more driven by storytelling, although I sometimes wonder whether we actually realise it, because what we do is we, we tell our story. We tell, hey, here's what's happening in my life, check out how good things are going, but we rarely talk about the Jesus component of that story. Society and culture have never been better conditioned to receive parables, story, and storytelling. And I think you're right, Jocelyn, one of the third tips to this has got to be share your story, because the sooner we know how to share it in a gospel, Jesus-based sense, the sooner we realize culture has never been more ready to accept and hear it, and our job is to figure out where and how best to tell that story.
0: Yeah, and I think that God has given each of us a unique story, and we need to become comfortable with it to be able to share it. Um, And... You know, part of the beauty of life is really to become more and more comfortable and see the ways that God has been working through your life whether it's in the good things or the bad things God's hand has been on it all and you never know how God will use your story to impact his kingdom
1: Absolutely Let's not forget too that there is no hierarchy in testimony Your story whether it's elaborate or whether it's straightforward is God's story and as you said a moment ago so correctly Jocelyn is you have to become comfortable with your own story because God has a purpose and a plan for each of our lives and it's the journey that makes us great. So tip one, love God and love people. Tip two is to not chase persecution, but rather share the love of Jesus. Tip three is to share your story. And the fourth one we wanna share with you today is that persecution, it is the motor of the gospel. We said before that it's important that we don't pursue persecution over sharing the love of Jesus. Similarly, it's important on the other side of that that we don't avoid sharing Jesus with the people out of fear that we may suffer for it. 2,000 years ago, persecution was the motor of the gospel and I believe God still uses persecution to build his church today. I want to have a quick look at Acts chapter 1 and chapter 8. In Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus says to his disciples, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But up until chapter 8, the disciples are yet to leave Jerusalem. Acts 8, 1 to 3 says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever They went. A believer that was in jail for six years said to me, Persecution allows the gospel to go where it previously would have not. If I wasn't persecuted, then I would never have been able to share the gospel in prison. I'd never actually thought about it this way before. But you know what? It's exactly what happened with the Great Commission and in Acts 8. The gospel would never have spread. Similarly, think about how we view persecution in Western context. We look at it as something to be avoided, but not that God might actually be using it to press us, to get the gospel into places it would otherwise not have gone. So... Tip or lesson number four on the way to best evangelize people is to realize that persecution is not something to avoid. In fact, it's the motor of the gospel. It's a sign of effective and successful Christianity. And more than that, I remember a believer in China once said, persecution doesn't bring growth. Growth brings persecution.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And and that's all we actually have time for today. But thank you so much for tuning in to our 30th episode of the Open Doors live podcast. We really hope that this how-to guide on evangelism from the persecuted church helps you to live out your faith boldly in whatever context you're in. Um, and if these kind of lessons have been helpful for you today, I would really encourage you to join our one program. This is our monthly giving program where your money gets sent to the field to help strengthen persecuted believers. Believers all over the world. Um, But in return, you receive stories and lessons, invites to travel, um, invites to events where we can connect you further with the persecuted church, who we really truly believe are the perfect mentors to our faith.
1: So thanks again for listening to the Open Doors Live podcast. Please rate, review, share it with your friends. We'll catch you next month for the last episode of 2019. Thanks for all your support and we'll see you next month.
0: Thanks for listening to Open Doors Live with your hosts, Mike Gore and James Kazina. Because of your support, we're able to bring the persecuted church to life. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au.